Hi, I am Elizabeth. And I'm Tabitha. And you are listening to Educators Who Dare to Lead. Stay tuned. Hey, Elizabeth. So I'm curious what this phrase means to you when I say clear is kind, unclear is unkind. Oh. <laughs> it means life-changing Simple six words to me, Tabitha. Before reading this book, I thought kindness and being nice were the same things. And that often let me be actually not be kind because I was unclear or I would be frustrated because someone was not clear with me out of a need for being polite. That Mm -hmm. is what that means. And I cannot wait to dig in because it's my favorite part. Yeah. So if you're reading the paper version of the book, not the audio version or a digital version, that quote is in very large letters on the very Mm -hmm. first page of this section. Clear Mm -hmm. is kind. So you know that it's going to play a very important role. And I'm with you about the politeness aspect because that's kind of how I approach things um, throughout my life is, okay, well, the most important thing is, is the politeness beating around the bush. (laughs) Like that was the The kinder sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. That was the kinder (laughs) thing to do rather than just be clear and upfront and being more abrupt or laying it all on the table, um, I viewed as much more, oh, well, that's rude. Well, that's impolite. Well, that's not, that is not the kind way to do things. And I, I think throughout my experiences in education as a teacher, as an instructional coach is really where this cemented itself in me is when I had to communicate with teachers about what was going on in their classrooms and realizing, you know, the stakes are high here. We're talking about the well-being and education of children. And I have information that they need and I, and I need to be clear in order to be kind and those things can go hand in hand. You don't have Mm -hmm. to have, it doesn't have to be one or the other and leaning into both being clear and also being kind and recognizing that when you aren't upfront, it's not going to go well in the long run, even if in the moment you avoid a confrontation or a difficult conversation. at the end of the day, it's not the way to go. Yeah, really huge. And I think that we, the two of us have talked about this before as well. And I know that it is super important to you also. Definitely. (laughs) Oh, there are so many avenues to go down. I cannot wait. So hello, welcome to Educators Who Dare to Lead, a podcast for educators from kindergarten through 12th grade to adult learners, for educators who teach within four walls or online. We dare to lead. Today we're going to discuss part one, section two of Dare to Lead, the call to courage. This is about 17 to 25% into the book for Kindle readers. The audiobook is a little more clear. You just tap on the section and there you go. And then Tabitha, what page did it start on in the it, hardback? It starts on the page. <laughs> Whoops. Got dogs in, dogs in my recording studio. It starts on page 45. <laughs> Thank you. They dare to lead as well. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Tabitha. And we welcome you on this journey today. So we're going to start with some 
impactful pieces? Yes. Oh, this is my favorite. I love to, when I'm reading, I love to go through and underline and highlight and circle and star (laughs) all of the amazing quotes that are the most impactful to me. And then I usually have to go back and narrow it down and narrow it down again to find, okay, what do I want to actually focus on in our conversation? But Mm -hmm. here is what I narrowed it down to. Are you ready? Yes. Leaders must either invest a reasonable amount of time attending to fears and feelings or squander an unreasonable amount of time trying to manage ineffective and unproductive behavior. Mm. Reminds me of the first couple of weeks of school. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes. This to me speaks so much, not just to being a leader in a workplace, but to so many different parts of life. Absolutely, your classroom as a teacher, this is huge. And um, I remember being in college and undergrad and taking a class where we talked about how important it is to set up those routines and procedures and establish your expectations during those first few weeks of school. And, mm-hmm. um, and then realizing in the moment when I'm actually in the classroom, just how important it is, how you it's, that's not something that you can skip over. You've mm-hmm. got to attend to the emotional needs and, uh, the, the psychological needs of your classroom, um, before you can make progress. Otherwise you're going to, just end up wasting a whole lot of time. I remember my very first year of teaching it. That's kind of the way that it went. Um, Because I didn't have everything established ahead of time, I did end up squandering time trying to manage the ineffective behavior because I I, I just wasn't seasoned and experienced in (laughs) doing that first part of it, attending to everyone's fears and feelings at the outset, at the very beginning of the year. So it definitely applies to education. It also, I, I can see inroads into parenting. Any of you out there who are listening, who've got um, your own kids in your house, um, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then also whatever other adults that you're working with in your workplace, um, be- making sure that you are paying attention to really what are the underlying fears um, and mm-hmm. what's the undercurrent of the culture and mm-hmm. paying attention to that and dealing with those problems first. Um, otherwise it, it just gets out of hand afterwards. You, you can't really take any steps forward until you yeah. are, until you've got that under control. So that just, that whole piece, that was, that was just huge because I feel like it, it, it really just can't apply to every, every part of life. Mm-hmm. The most impactful thing for me, you already asked, was clear and <laughs> kind. I was very fortunate to have this friend that practiced this before I knew what it was. It's so simple. It's kind of just saying what your preference is instead of asking people to read your mind and then getting upset when they can't. Mm-hmm. So she would just be super clear, but have this wonderful, kind tone about it. The we lived in different cities, she would come and she would say something like, I don't care if we here or here, but I want to be at a place that 
gets us in and out quickly because I want to be on the road by eight. And it was very clear what she had, but it was so totally collaborative. We had lots of different options. My needs were also taken into consideration, but she spoke her needs and it boggled my mind because in mm -hmm. my mind you had to be, Oh no. Oh, well, what do you want to do? And also I am a terrible person to go out to eat with because I never have a preference. <laughs> I am not a right person. But clear is kind is life changing. And I know we haven't gotten into the nuance of education yet, but when we get there, I think it is 360 degrees around a teacher from teacher to student relationships to teacher to mm -hmm. admin relationships all the way around. Yeah. And I like how you tie this into speaking your needs. So, it, mm -hmm. so kind of my approach when I was reading clear is kind and letting that soak in, I was thinking more of in, in terms of, okay, I've got to have a confrontation with someone. I've got mm. to tell them something that they don't want to hear or something mm -hmm. that might not go over well. But I like how you flipped it around and, and talked about how it's not just being clear with what you what other people need to hear, but also being clear with what you need to express yourself, even mm -hmm. if it's just something like, hey, here's my boundary, here's my time limit, here's my food preference. Um, I like that. And it is, that is life changing. And I think that's definitely something that I still have some room <laughs> to grow in. <laughs> I'm still working on that. I don't think it was this book, but it may have been another book or a podcast or she's done so much now, TED Talk. Mm -hmm. where she said something like the most empathetic people that she knows have good boundaries. And to me, that was my motivation for being, yeah. for being more clear. And that was, oh, okay. If I get my needs met, then I will have more capacity for empathy. And by being kind to myself, by being clear with my needs, then I can just overall have more mental energy and just a totally different way to show up feeling like your voice matters, but without ever feeling like you're taking over. I could never balance that before clear is kind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, we, I even remember the two of us had this conversation before mm -hmm. we even started our podcast and we were like, okay, well, what are your boundaries? What are your expectations? What are your needs? And how can we make sure that we are honoring those for ourselves and for each other? And mm -hmm. just revisiting that conversation when, when needed, yeah. I think it's important too. Mm -hmm. um, you have another quote in the notes that I'm curious about. <laughs> this is so another one that I really like too. She lays it out beautifully. I love the way that Brene Brown brings in her own examples. So it's not just the sage on the sage, this untouchable person, but she walks through and I'm like, oh man, I have been there. And if I have been there, that probably means the people around me have been there. And so when I see the behavior that I'm about to describe, I now think, oh, they're really struggling with something. And I have so much more empathy for them and space for them to find their own process. So here is the quote. Go along with me on this journey. <laughs> people think it's a long walk from I'm not good enough to I'm better than them but actually it's just standing still in the exact same place in fear, assembling the armor. Literally have chills because I'm such a great reader. No, because 
I, we have this, I think, almost curse of thinking that we're so special. And that means that we're the only ones that suffer the way that we do, which means that we think that everybody else has their stuff together but us. But then also like, well, at least I'm not blah, blah, blah. And I don't like feeling that way at all. And I think that's what this quote speaks to is that when you have a colleague, and I'm just going to go in the teacher niche here, but when you have a colleague that acts like they're better than everybody, instead of rolling your eyes and being like irritated with that, except that probably comes from the fact that they don't think they probably wonder if they're the worst ones there and they have to constantly have that reassurance reassurance. Mm -hmm. And that is a very lonely place to be and not, and it's not your responsibility to build them up, but it does help you have better relationships when you don't take that on personally. It's their armor. They have to constantly reassure themselves. And in education, with our constant examples of martyrdom and teacher of the year and the way that tenure is decided and the way that we are kind of personally attacked. When we get feedback that's negative, you know, if you're in business, somebody might say like, you know, you're not very effective at such and such, but in education, people will think, well, you're, you just want to punish kids or they think that you're mean, or you were just thrown into teaching fifth grade math when you have always taught kindergarten. And then people think that you're, you know, well, she doesn't know what she's doing or she's stupid, or he, you know, doesn't know how to talk to kids. Or did you ever get uh, before you had kids like, well, I don't know how you can teach my kids if you don't have children of your own. Oh yeah. And there's something to be said there. It does give you ample perspective that you have never had before, but you also bring something different because you don't have kids of your own. Mainly, I brought a ton more of time to <laughs> And we're <laughs> true. <laughs> like I was able to answer your 11 o'clock email or 11 p.m. email or whatever. Um, and it's so personal that I think really having this understanding that if you get and attack is a very emotionally charged word. I need to find a better word. But if you get that feedback that feels so personal, or if you have that colleague or principal or whoever that is really constantly giving themselves accolades and talking about their own accomplishments, that there's probably something going on that has nothing to do with you and you don't need to take it personally because it's not. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I know that I kind of jumped ahead, but when I saw this in the, in the notes, I was like, yeah, that was another one of my quotes that was really impactful to me because I have experienced this being in the exact same place and have like going through that cycle in one single conversation, either with a per another person or <laughs> in my own head right. of going from feeling like I am the worst, I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. This other person is amazing. They are the ones that are wonderful to completely flipping that on its head and being like, well, well, actually, well, actually, <laughs> you know, it's their fault. It's their problem. They're the one that's doing X, Y, Z that I don't actually like. And, and you know what? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm in the right here and they're in the wrong where I, I started out 
in a complete opposite place. And yep. I didn't have to go anywhere. I was just standing there assembling mm-hmm. the armor of defense. So I think just taking the time to think through that and, and recognize it is really important. So notice it in yourself, but also be able, like you're mentioning, to see it in colleagues and coworkers. And when you do see someone who's standing there with all of their armor on, don't take that offensively either. Just look at mm-hmm. them and say, oh, they're having a difficult time. Something else is going on. They've they've mm-hmm. got their armor up. There must be a reason why. I thought that was that was really huge. I want to talk about some of the tools. Tell me how this plays out for you. I want to understand. Okay. She said that to her team. I thought that was a beautiful space giving self-kindness listening, active listening piece that we can use for colleagues, principals, parents, students. When you have a student that comes up to you and, and makes an unfair accusation, like especially for those of us that are moving from um, teaching in four walls to online learning, as a parent, I can tell you as clearly as you have everything laid out, it is still hard to find. And I'm like, oh man, (laughs) (laughs) I wish I had had this experience as a, as a teacher when I was trying to do this. So one tip we'll say is just name everything the exact same place and everything that you have it located. And that will help. You're going to have a student or a family and they're going to say like, I can't find anything. This is so confusing. You never sent that. And you know that you did and you can find it. That is armor. So instead of trying to defend yourself, it's not necessary to defend yourself. The only thing that you need to do here is help contribute to the solution of this problem. And the best way to do that is by letting them talk you through it. So I liked um, what's your experience like in class. If I had a student that was um, using some inappropriate tools or language or something like that in class, just getting them to talk about it. Or if they weren't keeping up with their online tasks, just saying like, what's your day like? Tell me about that. The more they can tell you, the more information you have, and the more that they know that you're actually listening to them, the more likely you're better able to show up as this person that is on the same team. So what Brene says is, tell me how this plays out for you. I wanna understand. She is listing a preference for understanding. Have you ever used anything like that? Not necessarily in this way, I don't think. This is, this part was kind of new to me, but I appreciate, I really appreciate it. And I think probably in my role, I I learned just so much switching from being in the classroom with students and uh, switching to a role of being an instructional coach or administrator or teacher trainer where I'm working with adults and, and just thinking a lot more about communication and honing in on my listening skills. And I think that all of that is super important. Mm -hmm for teachers as well. Like after I came out of the classroom and started working on my communication and listening skills with other adults, then I was like, oh, wow, this would be so applicable and so important to being in the classroom and listening, really listening to your students and wanting to know more about what they're experiencing and instead of just making assumptions or drawing conclusions based on what you see in the moment. I think that is the pressure part where your skin starts prickling. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, if I say that, then I can't mentally prepare for what to say. That's okay. 
you might need to give yourself permission to not solve problems right away. If you show up yeah. present for that person and get back to them with a thoughtful contribution, whether you're helping them solve the problem or it's a resource or something like that is usually more effective than just having a solution in the moment. And maybe it's not. Permission slips can be immensely helpful as an educator from everything from dealing with parents and students to colleagues. It can be permission to, as you're growing in a skill, to realize that you're still going to mess up. Just because you know better doesn't mean you're going to do better every time. But my favorite permission slip in teaching is to have learning disasters is what I call it, <laughs> where you are going to try a new thing. You're going to try jigsaw, Socratic method or something like that. And it is going to be a hot mess the first time that you do it. And you give yourself permission to let it fail as an investment in your teaching so that you can do something that has the potential to have a huge payoff. I love that. Yes. Because so often I, I remember being a teacher and having conversations with my own instructional coach and she saying, Oh, well, have you thought about trying this? What have you thought about trying that? And then the conversation, I'm very politely. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> but in my mind, I'm like, no, I can't do that. That would be a disaster. I don't yeah. want to have to just deal with the messiness in the moment, telling yourself that that's okay. And being transparent with your students too, saying, hey guys, we're going to try something new today. We haven't done it before. We're going to make mistakes and it's not going to go according to plan, but we're going to learn mm -hmm. from it. And that just ties into the whole modeling of a growth mindset that we want to do for our students anyway, and showing mm -hmm. them that it's okay to make mistakes. That's a Absolutely. really good permission slip. And that mistakes are a valuable part of learning that you're modeling yeah. that. So if your principal were to come in and do a walkthrough, I mean, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, it was a disaster. This didn't happen. Mm -hmm. This didn't happen. Mm -hmm. I would say, no, read the room, know your principal, but all, almost all the principals that I have worked with want to see innovation. Mm -hmm. They want to see teachers doing things more student-centered and they know that comes with a risk. So you might pop by their room and be like, I'm so excited you got to see our first, you know, whatever it is, jigsaw strategy, the kids are doing this and this. It's our first time and we learned so much. If you have an opportunity, I'd love for you to come back and, and see us in a few weeks when we've got it nailed down. And that excitement and passion, even if their initial impression was like, what is going on in this circus, is likely to be transformed. I don't know. Do you think that's having armor, like going back and talking to somebody or like trying to control the narrative? As I said that, I'm like, oh, that's kind of defensive. I'm not sure. But that's what I would feel like I would need to do. Maybe it's all in how you are approaching it, like mm -hmm. mentally. And if yeah. you if you feel yourself tensing up, becoming defensive about it, maybe it's just more about the emotional place that you're in. Mm. Maybe you didn't really give yourself that permission slip. Yeah. Mm. I need to sit with that one. <laughs> Let's go back to clear is kind, unclear is unkind. The biggest example for me as an educator is whether I'm training students that are adults or um, underage, under 18, is when they are not doing well. I really enjoy doing data conferences, even with the youngest kids, because yeah. they can see their growth. 
and it's very clear and some of that personal delivery piece is off of you. A wonderful change for me when I stopped using the compliment sandwich. That is, you say a nice thing. Your child is so much fun in class. Mm-hmm. They are below grade level in reading. I love seeing them every day. Nobody hears the middle. You hit it. So you can say, you know, Miss Johnson, thank you for your time coming coming on in today. I really appreciate you coming in. I love having your son in a class. I want to make sure that um, you know where your child is because you're as committed to helping them grow as, as I am. And here is what the data sees and you can explain it. Give them space to look at what they're seeing. I, I hear that a lot is the parents will just be kind of over. You're going to j- drop this bomb on them mm-hmm. and then talk a bunch of jargon. And then it's like they have no time to process. And then you like just throw something at them and then they don't really know how to respond. It's like going to the doctor and getting some big thing, not being like super clear with somebody and making, making sure that they are clear that their child is failing below grade level or this for the student that they're failing, I think is not kind to me. Mm -hmm. That is one of the, the simplest examples in education, as well as teachers. If you have a teacher that you know you're not going to hire next year, that shouldn't be a surprise. They should have some really clear drop-in feedback. Yeah. I think it is very unkind to teachers to have for however many observations you need to do in a year, and they're all like kind of sandwiched in because everybody has something to improve. So if they're like, oh, okay, they said I could be more engaging, And they think, well, you know, everybody could get that because that's the other thing. Your highest achieving teachers are like, they don't get it because everybody gets the same amount of feedback. So having feedback that is really clear and you use language to say, in order for us to keep you at the school, this needs to change to this level. On the flip side, clarity can be what you're doing is so innovative. I want other teachers to see it. Can we do this? Or I want you to know that this is exceptional. The other thing that sticks with me about being clear, you mentioned with student data conferences, and that is just basing it, basing your comments or whatever it is you have to say on evidence or data. You know, and it's like going back to teaching middle school ELA, where you tell your students, go back to the text, get your text evidence to support your answer. (laughs) And I think that's really helpful in thinking through clear as kind as well, because then you don't have to just rely on yourself to find a way to tell the truth in a kind way. You can just lay it out there and say, here's what here's the evidence we have. Here's your test Mm -hmm. scores here. um, uh, Here's your, what I observed in the classroom, just be Mm -hmm. fact and data based. And then you can have a conversation around that evidence, around that data that is not as emotional as if you're saying, well, you, you failed this test or, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, you didn't have any engagement in your classroom or, you know, um, just it, just bringing the data to the table, I think, is a good way to bring about that clearest kind. Mm-hmm. There's so more. There's so, so much. much. We both had what's my part. Yep. That yeah. is, again, like all of this stuff is so life-changing and career-changing, which I think is why the book is so popular. 
So not only for ourselves, if you have a relationship with somebody in your school, whether 360 degrees around you, because teachers are just surrounded by people all the time, Mm -hmm. um, and it is not what you want it to be, we're not talking about fault. That is not the same as what's my part. To me, what's my part is so empowering. And we talked about this, Tabitha, on like some person, I gave you some personal examples of this. Um, But what's my part is empowering because if you have a part to play, that means you can change it. Yeah. And it might be that your change is to have better boundaries and to say no sometimes. Maybe that is what you need to do to improve that relationship or maybe it is learning how to push back collaboratively, provide different things. So if you have, for example, um, parents or students that are saying, you know, you're not this or that. And so you're trying to go the extra mile to prove, to make it impossible for anyone to say that. I can guarantee you somebody's going to say that. And that is kind of an armor piece. So it might be giving yourself permission to be imperfect what's my part might be when I receive an email like that, I, I put my armor on and I get defensive and I can try to replace that with saying, tell me how this plays out for you. I want to understand. Show me what you're talking about, or let me see. I love the idea of thanking people when they give you feedback that you're not happy with which I know seems ridiculous, (laughs) but it's far better for people to tell you what is going on in the problem that they're having than to go tell your principal or just be mad and tell your, tell their kids if they're a parent or, you know, their parents are telling the kids and you don't get any say in all this stuff. It's not kind to just complain about people. It is kind to say like, Hey, here's this problem. Can you help me solve it? Not everybody is going to be as skilled as you, or you may be after reading this book and putting these (laughs) things into action at being able to, to listen. And I learned the biggest lesson from this in, in retail, people would come to my counter to do their return, like full armor on. And they would be like, they would tell us all the things that we did wrong and da da da. Because I think customer service has kind of trained people that if you don't have like this awful experience, nobody, if you're not mad, nobody's going to give you the return. (laughs) And it would be like, okay, so you want to return? And they would be like, yes. And I'd be like, okay, I'll take care of that for you. Like, I don't need, we don't have to defend every little thing. We have to listen to people. And what's my part, I think is usually being better listeners or being more respectful or having better boundaries for ourselves. Sometimes you just have to let people feel their feelings and have their experiences and just let them and just say, you know, thank you for sharing your experience or sharing your feelings with me. Now, as you go away from that situation and you examine what is my part or what is my role or what can I do to help you might walk away with, there's nothing that I can do. (laughs) This is, this isn't for me. Like I do need to put up that boundary, which you mentioned, but just acknowledging that it's, it's okay for other people to have experiences and emotions and you just, you got to let them feel what they're going to feel. I was thinking about what's my part. This reminded me of an activity that um, I saw. They were doing this activity where they had all of the teachers write down on like little sticky notes, the things that they 
could not control in their classrooms with their students, with their the, the parents, um, with the testing, with grades, whatever it was that was out of their control, they will put those on the sticky notes and put them over here on one side of the room. They said, okay, we're gonna let those things go. We're not gonna spend all of our time going around in circles and driving ourselves crazy because we can't change these things that are out of our control. And then they've turned it around and focused on, okay, but what is within our power? What is within our control? What is our part? And got the teachers focusing instead of on the negative side of things of, of well, these things are going wrong and there's nothing I can do about it. Well, let, let's look at the things that we can do. Mm -hmm. um, that is really huge because as teachers, there's so much that feels out of our control. We, those students are in our classrooms for a, a limited amount of time, and then they go off into the world. They go off to their homes, to um, their after-school activities, to their part-time jobs, and we don't have control over what's going on in their lives when they're, yeah. you know, outside of our classrooms. And um, there are so many tests, you know, there's, there's so much standardized tests in uh, all of these assessments that we are held responsible for as teachers. And sometimes that feels like that is out of our control as well. And mm -hmm. it's easy to just throw your hands up and say, well, I, there's nothing that I can do to, to really make a difference. And putting that aside and, and focusing instead on, well, what is my part? Mm -hmm. What can I make a difference in? Even no matter how small it is, what are the little things that I can do that are going to contribute to change? And what can I take responsibility for? Even if there's a million things over there on that wall that I can't <laughs> take responsibility for. That's what really spoke to me. That was a really powerful concept to think through. As teacher trainers and other people that are working with adults, you also, you don't have state tests, but you have passing rates, you have satisfaction surveys, you have show that your training produced some kind of positive change in your metrics that you're looking for. And you can feel those same things. Well, I, I teach college and they're adults. They don't even have to come to class yeah. <laughs> if, they, if they don't want to. So it, it works all the way around. If you are trying to see what a group of people that you're leading really understands, I like this piece that she has with the turn and learn, the halo effect, and the bandwagon. So she's saying, don't ask the group what they think, because if it's your idea or somebody that has a lot of capital in the class, their idea is going to have like a halo around it. Or if it's yeah. the most popular, they'll say yes, because they want to get the heck out of there. That is a, you always see the beam of like the one teacher that holds up the entire yeah. after school <laughs> PD because they have the, the questions. Uh, so the turn and learn is a great place to give everybody space, the people that are always likely to raise their hand and the people that are listening and paying attention and probably have some really good insight, but aren't going to raise their hand. That's a really great strategy, whether you're teaching or leading a group of students or you're leading a group of teachers and educators, if you're a principal. Do you have anything for that on the turn and learn the halo effect or the bandwagon? No, not necessarily. No, just I think that they're great strategies, not just for, like you said, not just for uh, mm -hmm. colleagues or coworkers and staff meetings, but 
use those as strategies in your classroom. Mm-hmm. You could, those are great teaching strategies. Think, pair, share. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Same. Yeah. I really love this. We should all be held accountable for being both optimistic and realistic. That's in quotes because it's directly from the book. Mm-hmm. There are roles, hats that people put on because if I don't ask the the realistic question, nobody will. Or I can see my leader that I really admire is kind of being shot down by all of these people asking these realistic, but what about this questions? And so I'm going to support them and be like, but guys, I'm just so grateful. (laughs) And what happens as a trend I have seen, I have experienced is the same people fit the same role. So this idea of we should all be held accountable. So if you are the leader in your group, that means you have to hold everybody accountable for being both. both. Yeah. You're people that are always optimistic, that is exhausting and they don't get to have that critical thinking skills. And your people that are asking you those tough questions, that is exhausting and they don't get the experience of being grateful and appreciative. Hold everybody accountable for being both. I think the culture in your school has a better chance of being what it needs to be so that people feel supported. Yeah. I think sometimes with people who are a hundred percent optimistic, it's it sometimes you can fall into the trap of just that blind optimism of just I'm a cheerleader no matter what. Like <laughs> the school's on fire, but I'm here. Like yeah, let's everything's let's fine. get pumped up. Everything's <laughs> all right. And um and having that balance, she says, um, she talks about how you need to have gritty faith and gritty facts. Mm. And I really liked that description. So yes, you want that optimism. Of course, that's mm-hmm. important. You can't um, lose heart. You can't lose hope. You can't lose faith, but you have to be willing to counter that with mm-hmm. the reality of your situation. And it's mm-hmm. not helpful if you're in um, a, a school or a, have a classroom with a group of students who are, you know, very, having a really difficult time, if your school has got a lot of budget issues or low test scores, it's not enough just to say, we're going to be better. We're going to be the top school. (laughs) Okay, that's great, but you're not going to get there unless you spend a lot of time examining your reality and seeing, Mm -hmm. okay, well, where are we at? And I want to be optimistic. I want to have faith and hope, but I need real and concrete steps to get there. So you've got to have both of those together. And I think that speaks so well to Mm -hmm. the world of education. Perfect fit. Absolutely. I liked um, when I was coaching doing leveled goals. So, Mm -hmm. okay, what's your, before you can say what your smart number is going to be, your smart goal, you always had to have a number in there for a metric. You have to know what your current reality is and we need to vet that. So, well, hello. So, (laughs) so, you know, if it was a certain percentage of the students would engage in the activity in a certain way, like actually having someone come in and actually look at what that is. And then from there, you can say, okay, that's my two coming in there with on a scale of four. That's my current reality. What would be progress? That's my level three. What would be 
just amazing in an ideal world if we didn't have interruptions and everything else that happens there's your four and then a one is less than where you started and having that gives you a sense that I can achieve this and usually it's just very natural the closer we get to achieving a goal most people don't just say oh I achieved it I'm done you go well if I got that I wonder if I could just put a little extra and get this and also having some targeted goals, working on like one thing a semester or one thing a year so that you can really focus in. You work on too many things and the priorities just don't get met because there are not everything's important. Mm -hmm. What else do you have in this section? So the last thing that I really felt tied into the world of education was the section where she talks about being exhausted versus being lonely. And she brings in a story mm-hmm. of Dee Dee Halfhill. Mm-hmm. Found it. It's on, page, on page 59. If you guys want to look it up in your book real quick, but um, she is talking to a group of at the Air Force, okay, mm-hmm. and someone brings up the workload and the fact that they are all exhausted. And in that moment, I don't even know if this was premeditated or if she thought through it ahead of time, but she was like, Well, wait a second, are we really exhausted or are we lonely? And she opened that up to the audience, and, and she had quite a few members who were transparent and said, yeah, no, that's, that's real. That's me. I am experiencing loneliness and how sometimes our exhaustion is just a symptom of being lonely. And I, I feel like that I have seen that so often in the world of education where you've got teachers who just feel like they are working, working, working. They're so exhausted. They're burnt out. And yes, we could always use a fewer, a few less tasks to accomplish and mm-hmm. uh, fewer responsibilities on our checklist. Um, but maybe part of that exhaustion is just stemming from a lack of connection mm-hmm. and supportive relationships with other teachers. Mm-hmm. And maybe you, it, it's coming from the fact that you don't have someone that you're able to lean on for mm-hmm. support and you don't have that, um, that teacher who's your soulmate that's going to lift you up when you're feeling down and mm-hmm. energize you when you're feeling exhausted. So, and, and I think this kind of ties back in with what we talked about in the last episode about having your square squad, about mm-hmm. having those people that you're, you're going to be able to, to depend on and to be mm-hmm. completely honest and transparent with. Um, so, yeah, I think that's important for teachers to, to not isolate themselves, to, to reach out and find connections. I can, I'm thinking of so many personal situations. Um, there is a great podcast post from uh, Cult of Pedagogy where she says something like, find your miracles, I mm-hmm. think is the episode. And you and I both know about yeah, that. Yeah, we love that one. Yes, I call, we call each other miracles all the time. <laughs> But your miracle does not have to be in your building or your online school, if that's how you teach. It could be a colleague from another school. You want it to be someone that lifts you up, not just your venting partner. 
if they're reading this book with you, it really helps to have the language. Like I have the meeting with my principal. I can feel my armor coming up. Can you just be there as I verbally process what I'm going through right now? I know that sometimes we do, we do Marco Polo, Tabitha and I do, and I'm always recording videos and deleting them because <laughs> before I get a chance to watch before them, you get a chance, a chance to watch it, delete, <laughs> because you are my marigold and I can go through an armored situation just knowing that you are out there and that I can verbally process and that you will make space for that. It's just instrumental. It usually helps me be able to breathe and walk away and show up better into my values. And I don't know if our listeners know this, but we are are not even in the same state. Like we're two states away. (laughs) We've met personally, but we weren't friends at that time. Yeah. It was like my first time I had ever met you. Yeah. It was Mm -hmm. like five years ago. So your marigolds can really come from anywhere. Your square, your square squad can come from from anywhere. Also, I feel like a very strong case with this loneliness piece is that teachers continue to have the days off in the year. Nobody seems to care that the people and friends made like a million dollars an episode and got their summers off. So I don't mm-hmm. understand why teachers having times off where usually they're paying out of their own money to get recertified. Yeah. Some are by the pool. So what? They can't go take a vacation anytime they want. Like that's it. That's what they have. And then they're usually running into their students at the pool and then trying to help all the kids be safe (laughs) because they're teachers and can't help it anyway. But the, when you are in a classroom, you are performing all day. So if you if you're not in education, if you're more in the training world, imagine doing your training sessions all day long with the people that you're training. You have like 30 minutes for lunch and you get to only, you know, pretty much you can eat by yourself or you can eat with another, your group of colleagues and that's it. You're, you're maybe standing in the halls while kids kind of come in and out from classes, particularly if you teach the older grades. But other than that, if you're a classroom teacher, like you have to get someone to cover your class to go to the bathroom. Yeah. You are by yourself all day. And if you've ever been a manager and then the only manager in your particular department, it's so lonely. Nobody goes through what you do. They don't have all the information that you have. They're not trying to make all the decisions that you have. And nobody really understands why you're making all this decision because it's not beneficial for them to know all that piece. Being a teacher is like that too, except for you have meetings all day long, (laughs) but the meetings are teaching the kids. I think at first I was like, is teaching really lonely? Like we're surrounded all day long by people, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I think teaching is definitely lonely and having that time where nobody needs anything from you is essential to having that energy yeah and showing up all day long and trying to make you know things that can be really hard and frustrating like fun and interesting anything else in this section before we move on no i think we've got it but we'd love to hear from you guys if you're screaming at us in your car right now let us know so i did a call back to last episode with mm-hmm. the square squad, because that was kind of my hope for growth in myself is just making sure that I provided that I gave 
myself permission <laughs> to mm -hmm. invite those type of people into my life. So I am continuing on that journey um, of making sure that I've got the support that I need. Liz, how are you doing with your hope for growth? I believe I wanted to build marble jars for others. In other words, um, contribute to other people's marble jars that they mm -hmm. may not know that they are uh, building up. And it is, it, I haven't really had that many opportunities. I think this is something that I just kind of do very well at work. I love to watch people do very well. I like to build people up. I like to show respect and credit where respect and credit is due in my personal life. That's been more of a challenge as a parent. I am like checking off my mental checklist of all the things I need to do to be a good yeah. parent. And like, I should really have them do X, Y, and Z. So they learn A, B, and C. And so taking a break from some of that mental pressure, pressure that I yeah and literally just playing games with my kids mm -hmm. like I played Minecraft I played some Roblox games hopefully helping my kids feel a little more seen and less uh less family business more more marble jar it's a strange thing at first to think that that is a way to build marble jars but or jars marbles in the jar. That's what it is. But mm -hmm. that's exactly how Brene and her daughter explained it. It was like, oh, she knows all four of my grandparents. So um, I hope so. I'd like to keep, keep that one going. Yeah. What about your hope for growth based on this episode? So I think what I'm left with is kind of what she ends her end the section with mm -hmm. at the very end she says um and this is a direct quote on page 69 other people's emotions are not our jobs we can't both serve people and try to control their feelings mm -hmm. and that i think is huge that we we can't take responsibility for other people's emotions you've got to just let them feel their feelings and that is something that i am constantly striving to remind myself of um <laughs> and just remember that it's okay for other people to feel the way that they feel and it's not my responsibility i i, I can't take all of that on myself so especially if you are a leader um, of other teachers or of uh, students in your classroom. Um, I think that, you know, we take, have a tendency to, to really own that and take it on ourselves and that in itself can be exhausting as well. So just mm -hmm. reminding myself, that's not always my job. I, I need to serve people, mm -hmm. but I don't need to try to control their feelings. That connects directly to me with clear as kind. I think oftentimes mm -hmm. people are not clear because they don't want something that they have done to upset someone else. It's upsetting. That is literally what mm -hmm. it is. Like it's upsetting to be told that you have to change a behavior if you want to stay, but it is not kind to keep somebody in a role that they're not successful in. It's not mm -hmm. kind to have some really terrible news be a surprise and all of those things that 
you know, if it makes you nervous or it makes you uncomfortable, you find that marigold that square squad and you practice that conversation with them. But if you really want to be kind, you've got to be clear. And that means you have to make room for people's feelings. And also like, you know, maybe they were going to leave anyway. You never know. I mean, some, I think most of the time the conversations that we play out in our head are 10 times worse than they are in real life. Yeah. Although that one obviously is not a um, conversation anyone wants to have. I am in no means wait, making light of, of that kind of situation. But I do think that we've got to support people as humans and it is not, it's not kind. And it's also, if you don't feel like you're, you have a teacher that's being successful and you can intervene and it's still not going to help them be successful. It's not kind to your students, your families and your other teachers. Mm -hmm. If they're not, especially if it's something where they're not doing what they need to do. And then the rest of the, the teachers have to work twice as hard or. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a whole other thing. I think I'll just. I'll just let that Yeah, one. we could open a hundred more cans of worms, but we'll, we'll save some of them for later. <laughs> yes, please. Thank you. I think I'm just digging myself in a, in a, <laughs> a hole. Your hope for next time was, was to make room for other people's feelings. Mm -hmm. I am, can I copy your answer? I think I struggle with that. I have, my husband is amazing at it. We also, I think we have some people on our team that are also amazing at this. I have seen you in action be amazing at this. I need to grow here. Definitely. All right. So, so grow thank together. you. <laughs> thank you for providing my answer. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> we are signing off for today. Um, next time. We're going to be covering, we're still in part one, and it's going to be section three, the armory. So that starts on page 71. If you are reading the hard book copy, please follow us on Facebook at Educators Who Dare to Lead to join the conversation there. You could also follow us individually on Instagram. I am virtually Tabitha, and on LinkedIn, I'm Tabitha Securis. And I am Elizabeth Walker. I, I guess spelled E-K on Instagram and on LinkedIn. I am just Elizabeth Ike. So Elizabeth space E-K. If you're in the Kindle book, you're going to start on um, tw about 25% in. We hope you dare to lead by being kind. We would love for you to grow in this area in any way that you want to. We suggest just to have an idea here to think of a moment coming up for you when you have to give feedback, set a boundary, or state a preference. Script out the clear statement and practice that kind tone. Maybe even write clear as kind somewhere mm -hmm. visible for you. If it's a phone call, nobody's going to see it. Maybe you just write like C-I-K on your hand or something. If it's Whatever it is that you need to do so that you can set yourself up for success. Give yourself permission to fail or flounder or have it not go beautifully. Everything can be a learning disaster if we're willing to learn from it. So please follow us on Facebook at Educators Who Dare to Lead and join our conversation there. If you tried any of the things or you have contributions, we would love to hear and see them and join the conversation with you. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.